Hello, and welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York, that believes wherever you are in your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this week's sermon. Jesus, we... We don't even know what to say sometimes. We confess uh, that our lives demonstrate the pool of other gods and other forces on our hearts. We confess that we are seduced by lesser gods, that they promise us things that they never deliver on, while your faithful, steady presence through your word, through worship, through this community is always here, ready to be received, always offered. Lord, I, I ask for each person in this room, no matter what they walked in with today, no matter what hopelessness is in their hearts, no matter what guilt may be um, tormenting them, no matter what happiness no matter what sadness, whatever, wherever they are, Lord, would they know first and foremost, you are not asking them to change anything. You say, come as you are. Come right as you are and allow me to be with you and to meet you. So Lord, uh, in this message today, would you speak to your people um, so we can see you better and know you better? It's in your name, amen. All right. So we are in the middle of a series that we are titling Sacraments. Sacraments is kind of a fancy word from the Catholic tradition, um, but I like the concept of it. The concept at its um, distilled down is essentially this, that God wants to speak to us. God wants to speak to his people and he will speak through all sorts of things. He'll speak through people, he'll speak through institutions, he'll speak uh, through relationships or situations. God is trying to communicate to his creation. But when he does, when he does speak to us, there's going to be a pattern involved. There's going to be a logic. It's going to kill us. <laughs> it's going to kill a part of us. There's something in us that will need to change. And to change, I mean, it will need to die. But if we trust it, if we enter into that death, there will be a form of life that emerges out of it better than anything we know right now. And God says, trust me, because this, this thing in you that needs to die, it's disease. Like, it, it can't be salvage. Let it go. And, and so today, what we're going to talk about, the sacrament, we've been sort of working through different situations, different, um, uh, like baptism, like pain, like community. And today, what we're going to talk about is the sacrament of money. Yes, who's excited to talk about money? Yeah. <laughs> That's actually more than I was expecting. I was expecting complete silence in the room, all right? Now, a couple of prefatory comments before we get you to open up your, your checkbook, all right? Do people still carry checkbooks? I don't think they do. A couple of prefatory comments. If this is your first time today, and whether you would call yourself a follower of Jesus or not, um, if it's your first time joining us, and let's say, I don't know, you're maybe temperamentally predisposed to cynicism or something, you might be here and thinking, ah, go figure. The church talking about money. To which I would say to you, you just got unlucky, all right? <laughs> you showed up on the wrong Sunday. Go listen to our podcast. You realize we don't talk about it every Sunday. Maybe that's what you get for being cynical. I don't know. I don't know how these things work. <laughs> um, but I would say today is still for you. I would. Today is still for you. If you're here, Regardless of where you are in your spiritual journey, you're here because you're curious about God. Who is he? Is he? What would he have to say to me? And I would say, and we'll figure out why, um, one of the greatest ways that God can communicate to us is through our money, our wealth. And most people I know, and this may be you, who are not followers of Jesus, do not accept his claims about him as the son of God, usually, even the major uh, religious traditions, they still want to say that Jesus was a great teacher. Most people I know are like, hey, I don't think he's, he's, you know, the savior or unique in the world, but man, he had some great teachings. Cool. Well, we're going to look at one of his teachings today. So accept it. All right. So maybe this will still be for you today to learn 
what he has to say to all of us here about our relationship with our money. The second thing I want to say before I start, I am not asking you at the end of this sermon to financially partner with Hope Brooklyn. There is no bait and switch coming where you're sitting there again, the cynical ones among us are like, all right, when's it going to come? That's not the conclusion of today's message. So go ahead and just excise that from your head. I am going to ask you to financially partner with Hope Brooklyn, but that's going to be next week. (laughs) All right, next week, we're going to talk about the sacrament of why God asks us, asks his people in every single time and place to partner with his local community financially. And now you're thinking, whoa, 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 two weeks on money, pain only got one week. Why is that? Well, I've said this before, maybe you remember, by a couple scholars' estimates, there are over 2,000 verses in the Bible on possessions and wealth. For reference, there are only 500 on prayer, 500 on love. One out of every 10 of Jesus's words have to do to some degree with our possessions and our things and our money. One out of every 10 of my words is not about money, all right? And I think the reason why that is, and you've heard me say this before, our beliefs do not matter insofar as they are disconnected from our lives. Don't tell me what you love. Let me see how you spend your time. Let me see how you spend your money. And then quite objectively, without any judgment, I'll tell you what you love. You'll tell yourself what you love, right? Um, Stanley Hauerwas, he says, the question is not whether we believe Jesus is raised from the dead. The question is whether our lives make no sense unless he is. Don't tell me what you believe. Our lives demonstrate what we actually believe. So Jesus is like, I don't want to talk about love. Let's talk about money. And you'll reveal to yourself what you love. We're not going to be the cool parents, friends. I'm sorry. We're not going to be the cool parents that are so insecure and so afraid to talk about tough issues um, because we need your acceptance that we just don't enter into these things that are so important and so vying for our hearts. But we're not going to be the jerk parents either, okay? On the other end of the pole, who just say, who almost have like this sick pleasure for disciplining, which also comes out of a level of insecurity. We have to speak truth to one another, even about tough things. But we have to speak truth, not because I'm like lobbing a truth grenade up and like, okay, it's on you now. You got to figure it out. No, like a good parent, we have to speak truth Because I care about who you become. As I pray, you care about who I become. So we're walking alongside one another in this. And we all know that one of the the deepest powers in our hearts in this Western vision, that's why we're having a one hope night of prayer and worship, is this idea that views us primarily as consumers. And therefore, we view ourselves primarily as consumers. So we have to enter into this. But, and this is the last preface. This is not coming from someone who has mastered anything, okay? This is not coming from someone who's like, okay, I got this, you don't. I am on the journey just like you and with you. I like nice things, same as the next guy. Maybe my nice things are a little different. Anna made fun of me the other day. I have, uh, I I had, I had um, tennis shoes. We call them tennis shoes in the South. I don't know why we dropped the, the IS and put a Y. I don't know but I had tennis shoes that had four holes in them, two holes in each shoe. And I'm not talking about like little holes. I'm talking about like my toes are popping out holes. And then uh, I ordered like three or four books or something. And Anna's like, what are you doing? Your shoes look horrendous and you're still ordering books. So I like nice things. I have different, you know, we all have our values, right? And then she came home from Marshall's with a new pair of tennis shoes. And I got both what I wanted, you know, I didn't have to buy it for shop. (laughs) I'm no different from you. I want to follow God, but, you know, to, to a degree, within reason. I still want to make sure I'm in control of my finances. We are all products of our society, and we are taught to worship the God of wealth and consumerism, and it's very hard to break its grip. In a sense, and, and I got this metaphor from another pastor, it's, it's almost like we show up every Sunday, right? And we want to love God better. We want to be in relationship better. He's like our spouse, And so we show up and we're like, I want to love my spouse better. But we're all in an affair with another person, with another God. 
And so you show them, like, how do I love my spouse better? And I say, all right, well, let's, let's start by talking about the affair. And you're like, no, that's inconsequential to loving my spouse. And I'm like, no, that's very consequential to loving your spouse. We're all showing up with that idea. We want to know God better, but we don't want him to touch these things. But these things are like an affair that therefore prohibit us from fully entering into relationship. So recap, if you're cynical in here, I'm sorry, you got unlucky. But today's still for you because we're going to look at Jesus' teachings. And most people call Jesus a great teacher if you're not there to fully accept his claims as son of God. I'm not asking you to partner with Hope Brooklyn today. That'll be next week, so please come back next week. We're not going to be cool parents. We're not going to be jerk parents either, but we got to talk about it. I've mastered nothing. We're all having an affair with the God of money. We ready? Let's do it. Uh, so turn in your Bibles to Matthew 6 or your smartphones. Uh, we're also going to have it up here. And we're going to look at, we're in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the middle of uh, an extended portion of his teaching. We're going to read Matthew 6, verses 19 through 34. This is what Jesus says. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life. Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon and all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things, they will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. It's a really beautiful case that Jesus builds, and I want to look at it. I don't know if you noticed, but as we were going through, Jesus sort of does this thing where he diagnoses the problem of our hearts by, by holding up two options and sort of contrasting them, right? So he says, don't seek earthly treasures, seek heavenly treasures. You have healthy eyes and you have unhealthy eyes. Not this master, but this one, either God or money. Therefore, don't worry, but rather do this. He, he holds up these two options and he juxtaposes them. But what's interesting for our purposes is underneath both of those options is an assumption. Jesus makes an assumption, which I think is very vital for us today. So I want to look at a couple of these assumptions and then tie it all together at the very end of a step for us to take. Okay? So assumption one, and I, I would say probably the most important of the three that it took me a while to realize. Assumption one, money is not neutral. It is a God. Money is not neutral. It is a God. See, I, I always thought that money was kind of neutral, right? Whether you had it or you didn't have it, that doesn't matter. And hear me, that's, that's true. Whether you have it or you don't have it, that doesn't matter. What is not true is that our relationship with money 
is neutral or a relationship among equals. It's not. We are not equal to money. And you see this in Jesus's um, teaching because what does he say? He says, you cannot serve both God and mammon. In the Greek text, he, he instead of saying money, he uses this, this Aramaic word mammon that kind of personifies money. He makes it into a God. So he says, you can serve one or the other, but you can't serve both. So what do we mean when we talk about money, right? Money is just another way of saying a proxy for life, isn't it? A proxy for life. It's sort of this, this standardized thing that allows us to live in our respective worlds. So in Jesus's day, it wasn't money. What does he talk about? He talks about food and drink and clothing. These were the things, the standardized things that allowed you to function in your respective world. In our day, we've sort of created this standardized digital currency. And this is the thing that sort of allows us to function, to live in our worlds. But what's fascinating is that Jesus doesn't say money's on the same level as you, right? That, that you can relate with it as you would with an equal. You can't. You either serve God or you serve money. Which means Jesus has put money on the same level as God himself. That is deeply interesting. Which means the way we relate with our money will be likened to the way we relate with God. He even uses the word kurios, which is a Greek word that means Lord. So he says you can't serve two lords. Money will relate with you if you don't recognize it as God would. We are not equal to money. You cannot control it. I want to say that again. You cannot control money. You can only be controlled by it. In the same way that we are not equal to God. We cannot control or use God. We can only be used by him. And if you disagree, come talk to me. And I dare say if we ask enough questions, we'll realize how you're already being held captive by it. But the first thing we need to realize, the first assumption is that money, this proxy for life, how we get around, how we get by, it is not neutral, it is a God. And if we don't realize that, then we are actually being used by it. We are being held captive by it. And if that's the case, if money is a God, we need to ask, well, what kind of God is it, right? What kind of God are we dealing with? And I kind of thought about it and distilled it down. And I think there's sort of three elements about mammon, about money, that sort of typifies this God. And they are this, always more, that's step one. Money says we always need more. You never have enough. It's always more for me, right? It's never more for others. It's always more for me. You are the consumer and it's always more in the future. Never today. You know what I'm talking about? We, we, we say um, it never has enough for today. It's more for the future. The promises money make never come. Say so sort of sacrifice all you have and for something in the future that will come, which is why it's interesting when Jesus gives that beautiful litany. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Right? Money's always talking about tomorrow. Money's always talking about what's, if you, you know, pour your heart out today, if you work your, your butt off today, you'll get the benefits tomorrow. But then we realize tomorrow never seems to come, does it? Because then tomorrow you're still told, work your butt off today. Wendell Berry is a, is a wonderful sort of like thinker. He's kind of a prophet. Um, he was, grew up in Kentucky. He moved to New York to be a writer and a professor and then moved back to Kentucky. So he loves the cities and the countryside. He's one of the leading thinkers and voices about why Christians need to take care of the earth. So he's really, excuse me, really great. But he talks about um, oligarchic forms of economy. What he means by that is both in his estimation, both capitalism and socialism, two different poles, but this idea of um, the God of money, which says, pour out yourself today for something that will come in the future. And this is what he says. He says, the fraudulence of these oligarchic forms of economy is in their principle of displacing 
whatever good they recognize, as well as their debts, from the present to the future. Their success depends on persuading people, first, that whatever they have now is no good, and second, that the promised good is certain to be achieved in the future. Isn't that it? Especially that last line. Whatever you have now is not good enough, but the promised good, which you're looking for, it will come, but it will come in the future. Money, the God of money says you need more. It needs to be for you, not for anyone else, and it will come in the future. So the only way that you can rightly relate with money, says Jesus, is when your heart's eyes is toward the one true God. Therefore, emptying money of its power over you. And when that is the case, right? When you're, when he says this, he says you can either love one. If you love one, you're gonna hate the other. If you cling to one, you're gonna sort of despise the other. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience when you sort of come out of a season of life, right? And maybe it's like a, a, a sad season of life. It was a painful season of life. And then you look back on that season and you, or maybe you see someone who is still in that season and you're kind of filled with a sense of embarrassment that that was you at one point. For me, it was a certain section of my college days when maybe I didn't study enough and maybe partied a little too much. And then you sort of go back or you remember that time and there's a certain sense of, of shame at the things you cared about, right? The ways that you were controlled by um, the values of that God, whatever that God was. That's what Jesus is saying. You're, you can't be in relationship with both. You're either gonna love one and hate the other or you're gonna cling to one and despise the other. And here's a test to know where your heart's at. Here's a test. When we look at the tradition of God's relationship with his people, he has always asked his people in every time and place to give 10% of their income right off the top toward his kingdom. 10%, gross, not net. Right off the top as the very first thing toward his kingdom. Now, as I say that, what do you feel? <laughs> do you feel nervous? Do you feel angry? Like, well, God, you can't live in New York City then, <laughs> right? <laughs> Preach. <laughs> do you feel a sense of peace? That's what he's asked. And he said, for those in relationship with me, for those who are, who are loving me, there's gonna be a revulsion toward this other thing and I'm going to take care, I'm going to provide. And I'm not throwing stones here, okay? Because again, prefatory comment, I'm with you, I'm on this journey with you. But you either love one and hate the other or you cling to one and you despise the other. It's almost like, again, uh, another metaphor like from the affair one is, is we go to a personal trainer and we say, hey, I wanna get in shape. Okay, how can I do this? And the trainer's like, cool, here's your workout plan. Here's your nutrition plan. Follow these, you'll be good. And we look at it and we say, uh, how can I get in shape without doing any of these things? And the trainer's like, I can't help you. This is how you do it. It's the same thing. We come here and we say, Lord, I wanna meet you. I want, I want a heart on fire for you. And he says, cool, here's how you handle money. Let's start with that. I say, well, can I do something else? Can I offer energy? It's like, no, this is how it happens. The number one thing, says Ryan Holiday, that's keeping most Christians from experiencing a deeper relationship with God is that they already have another God. And any efforts towards spiritual growth are largely a waste of time unless that issue is dealt with. We already have another God. And any efforts towards spiritual growth are a waste of time unless that issue is dealt with. And just so you know, you don't learn it what once. You learn it over and over. I remember the first time God started to teach me. It was after, it was in college, after I was beginning to come out of that season, I was recommitting my life to God. I was pouring myself out, reading the word, um, being in community, praying, worshiping. And uh, I still remember one time, I don't even, like, I think I was in a service or something, but the idea came into my heart and I knew it was from God that he wanted me to give $1,000 away to an organization that I was sort of in relationship with. 
And just so you know, $1,000 was about 25% of my net worth at the time. Well, maybe less, but I had a lot of debts too, all right? And I still remember when that came, when I sort of felt that, and I was like, this is what God wants. I was terrified. I was like laughing hysterically. I was so nervous. It's like, how can I do this? This is ridiculous, Lord. But it was clear. And I'll be honest, I didn't do it the same day. I sat with it for like two weeks. It's like, did I really hear you? Can you give me another sign, like a really big one? Like maybe put $1,000 in my bank account magically first and then I'll give it away or something, right? But no, it was clear. As I continued to pray, God was like, this is it. This is how I want you to seek first the kingdom today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Today, this is what I'm asking. And when I did, and I'll get to this later on, this sense of peace and liberation that filled my soul was intoxicating. The sense of liberation, it was almost this, this thing of like, to the, I could see the God of money for what it was and I could see the hold it had over my heart and this, this step of recklessness and not just like recklessness from my own heart, but I knew it was the Lord asking me this. And this step of recklessness was powerful and it just clung me to the Lord. I have friends who have followed the Lord for 60 years. They're incredible people. They moved from LA um, with nothing to North Carolina to help start a church. And when Anna and I, we, they're in, down in North Carolina still, whenever we're able to meet with them or we're down there, we talk with them, they just share stories of how they've learned to follow God, of how they've learned to hear his voice and to act, no matter how ridiculous it sounds. And I remember one time they were talking about it and they said, you know what, it just feels like cheating. And what they meant by that is when you see God come through again and again and again, it just feels like cheating faith. Because you know the next time he says something that feels weird and ridiculous, they're wondering, well, how's he gonna come through this time? How am I gonna participate in the kingdom today? Assumption one, money is not neutral. It is a God. You are not equal to it. And if you think you are, you're actually held captive to it to some degree. Assumption two, you will store up wealth. You will make money. Notice what Jesus says. He says, don't store up earthly wealth, store up heavenly wealth. But it, it's, it's actually better rendered in the Greek. The word he uses is still to suggest that you're gonna store up physical wealth. The, the, the Greek word is thesaurus, which means the storehouse. Again, when we say money, we say a proxy for life. Money just describes the things we put our time, our energy, our passions to. We, we have to do something. Wealth and money becomes the means by which we live, by which we do something. You have time, energy, and abilities. All of these are involved pretty much to, to the largest degree possible to making money on some degree. You're gonna store up wealth, AKA you're going to live. It's going to happen. And some of you are gonna be better at it than others, right? Some of you have passions and skills and talents that the world prizes and therefore values and will reward with money. Other of you, you have faithless hearts and God's like, I gotta protect you, I'm gonna make you artist. And so, <laughs> but you got a family here, all right, we love you, right? Jesus didn't say, don't make money. He didn't say the opposite of accumulating physical wealth is Christians not accumulating any wealth whatsoever. He didn't say that and he could have. He could have said that. He didn't say don't make money. That's like saying don't live. We have this idea sometimes that money is like this icky thing below God. That it's, that it's like God doesn't wanna touch it, it's not. It's a part, again, it's a proxy for life. It's part of the way that we live, we move, the way that we exist in our worlds. We have to do it, we have to live. It's going to happen. We're going to accumulate wealth. And when you look at the, the, the biblical tradition, you see characters, and some who have a lot of wealth and some that don't have much. So you see uh, Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, the first three patriarchs of Israel. They are very, very wealthy. And then you see people like Jesus and Paul who don't have much to their names. Some of us friends are really good at making money and that's fine. 
Some of us are really intelligent and really the, the skills and the passions that we have are also valued by the world in such a way. That is fine. Jesus did not say that the opposite of accumulating wealth on earth is not accumulating at all. He said the opposite of accumulating wealth on earth is accumulating it for heaven, which means utilizing wealth on earth, living life with a different time span in mind, with a different focus of your energies, a different uh, intention than just using wealth for yourself, your needs, or your family's needs today. All of those things, yourself, your needs, or your family's needs are just an extension of you. He says, now that, you know, by pursuing your passions, by pursuing your energies, by being rewarded in such a way by the world, here's how you focus. Here's how you focus on the kingdom of God. Because the goal of your life is to follow and cling to God, however he leads. And if money is the result of that, great. God will tell you how to use it. And if money's not the result of that, great. You got a family here. But if you knew your decisions could influence eternity, would that change how you spent it? Because you're going you're gonna to accumulate wealth one way or the other. That's not the issue. That's the assumption you're going to. For us, though, for those of us who are clinging to God, this becomes sort of this, this tool that, again, we have a bit of a revulsion toward. We recognize its power, its agency, but now it's God could say, hey, give $1,000 to an organization when that's 25% of your net worth. He could. Are we listening for that? Are we listening for those opportunities? Live in the world. Use your gifts and passions and energy. If the result is making money, if that's truthful to your calling, awesome. Accumulate wealth. But what is that wealth focused toward? Is it focused toward the things of this age that will be rendered invisible? Or is it focused toward a different age, a longer term? And how do we know what it's focused toward? And this brings up the third assumption. First one, money is a God. It is not neutral. You are not equal to it. Second one, you're going to accumulate wealth to some degree. That just means living in the world. You're gonna live. Be faithful to your calling and your passions. The third assumption is you know what you're storing up based on what your eyes see. You know what you're storing up based on what your eyes see. Jesus says the eyes are the lamp of the body. Healthy eyes equal a body full of light. Unhealthy eyes equals a body full of darkness. Then he has this confusing line where he says, if the light within you is darkness, how great the darkness. What does that mean? If the light within you is darkness, how great the darkness. I think it means, again, if two people are both accumulating wealth, it's going to look the same, won't it? From an you know, outside observer, we're going to see two people storing up, accumulating wealth. It might even feel the same to a certain degree, but it won't be the same because one person's eyes will be on the things of this world themselves. The other person's eyes will have a longer time span in mind. And you can know that based on what fills your thoughts, where your eyes are looking at. I remember one time Anna and I had a conversation uh, about a certain brand. We had just gotten to New York and we were talking about a certain brand. And then the very next day, guess what I saw everywhere? That brand. Everywhere. Everyone was wearing it. I didn't see it the day before, but then Anna and I talked about it, and that's all I could see the next day. Why? Because my eyes were seeing it because my thoughts had been on it. Right? We know where our hearts are based on what our eyes see. When your eyes are filled with God's kingdom, opportunities to partner with him are everywhere. You see them all over the place. You hear them everywhere. Or do you see fearfully? Are your thoughts full of fear or lack or negative stuff and things? Do you see your needs mostly or do you see others' needs too? How do you know what your eyes are looking at? Well, here's a simple test as well. Go check your monthly expenses. <laughs> Some of you are like, oh, I don't know if I want to, I don't like this trainer anymore. Go check your monthly expenses. 
what percentage of them would you say goes to a situation outside yourself? Toward others in some capacity. And that's not simple, guys. Because again, Jesus said, if the light within you is darkness, how great the darkness. Meaning, sometimes we are so self-deceptive, we don't even realize the way we're, we're focusing our thoughts and energy, the way we're uh, in relationship with the God of money and don't even see it. Here's an example that always, I, I think, um, typifies it for me and still makes me laugh. Do y'all remember the show House Hunters? Remember that show? Yeah? Okay. Um, is that show still on TV? Okay. All right, cool. Well, I used to watch it with my mom all the time. Um, and something I noticed that was always so funny. So if you don't know the, the premise of the show, basically uh, a couple or a family, they'll view three different houses and then they'll make a decision which one they want. And um, it's so funny. <laughs> I'd say 85 to 90% of the couples, when they're viewing a house, right, and they're like trying it on and they're imagining, you know, their life there, they'll always say something like this. They'll be like, honey, we can do such great hosting here. Like, we can, can you imagine people filling our space? We're going to host. We're going to host everyone. They're just so excited about hosting. Like, 95% of the couples want that open floor plan, which, you know, I want that too. Are you kidding me? Open floor plan, hosting, it's going to be the best. And then, at the end of the show, after they pick a house, they come back like six or nine months later, right? And they want to see how things are, and they talk to the couple. And I'd say 75% of the couples will say, you know, we haven't hosted anyone yet, <laughs> but we're getting there. You know, we're still settling in, which is true, all right? Totally, that's so true. But I think what that goes to show, maybe a theme running through this, is it's not our thoughts or our beliefs which are true, or maybe what we want most. Ultimately, our actions demonstrate what we want most. Ultimately, what we do, it's, I, you might love the idea of hosting. You might. But how many people have walked through your door? That will demonstrate quite objectively what you value most right now. And again, not throwing stones. I'm with you. Anna and I love hosting. And then there was a period in our life last year where we were just like, we can't do it right now. And we took like nine months off and no one came over to our house. <laughs> You're welcome back now. <laughs> but that is a good question. How do you know where your eyes are looking? Well, go check your monthly expenses. It'll tell you what percentage goes to outside your needs and what percentage does not. How many times do you pick up someone's tab? Or do you see it? Do you give to um, God's kingdom in some capacity? Are there charities you give toward? Grocery bills, how often are they that people are over? On a day off, how do you spend it? Can people look at you and say you're generous? with full honesty and sincerity. Can they? You know what you're looking up, or you know what you're storing up based on what your eyes are looking at. So quick recap of the case. We're going to relate with money. We have to, it's a proxy for life. It's not icky, it's not bad, but it is a God. So it's not neutral either. It is looking to control your heart. You're gonna accumulate it on some level. We can discern where our hearts are at based on what our eyes see, based on what fills our thoughts. It is a God, we are not equal to it. It either serves us or we are servants of it. It is a God that says always more, always more for me and always more for some future time, which the future never comes. But this is a series called Sacraments. We're looking and asking the question of how does God meet with us? So maybe you're wondering, okay, this is great, but how does God meet with us, communicate himself to us, reveal himself to us through money. And I said, when that happens, it's gonna kill us or part of us. Well, that long, beautiful litany that Jesus offers where he says, therefore, don't worry about what you're gonna eat. Don't worry about what you're gonna drink, what clothes you're gonna wear. Don't worry about your life. Is life not more than the amount of money in your bank account? It is. It absolutely is. Look, look at the birds. They don't sow, they don't reap, and yet God feeds them. Look at the, the flowers. They don't toil, they don't labor, and yet look how beautifully they're clothed. Are you not? This is Jesus, the good teacher, remember, saying, are you not much more valuable 
to your God than they. Oh, you of little faith. Instead, seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. And since this is in a context where we're talking about money, Jesus is saying, for those of you who want to, you know, sidestep it, invest your money, your life, first in the kingdom and God's righteousness. And guess what? All these things which you're worrying about, they're going to be added on to it. You're going to get the more that you're worried about if you seek first the kingdom. So what's the prescription Jesus offers? To encounter the true living God, to break the hold that the God of money has over you? It's very simple, yet it's very difficult. Start giving away your money to the kingdom today. Not tomorrow, today. Because the God of money says it's always about more. You never have enough. But the, the living God says, have less today and not just sell your stuff and like go minimal because if you sell your stuff, your bottom line still goes up. He's saying, decrease your bottom line today. I'll tell you how to do it. Don't worry about where it comes from. Just, just look for it and I'll, I'll show you where it is. And you'll find when that happens, not worrying about tomorrow, that you actually have that more that you were worrying about. The God of money says it's always more for me, but Jesus says, look to the kingdom First, which means you're not looking for yourself first, you're looking for others first. Where are those opportunities? And the God of money says the world is scarce. Therefore, invest in such a way that you'll have more tomorrow. But God says, seek first the kingdom. Seek first. First is today. Today is first. Tomorrow will be second. Jesus didn't say seek second the kingdom. He said seek first the kingdom. Seek God today. Invest toward whatever God fills your hearts with today. Cling to him today. Give away money today. I'm not gonna tell you how much. That's gonna be as God opens your eyes to see needs and opportunities, but they're everywhere. And here's the crazy thing, and I already alluded to it. Here's the crazy thing, friends. To cling to God in all these ways is to get all the promises that the God of money, the God of money offered and never delivers on. Did you notice that in verse 27? He says, who by worrying can add more to their life, add another hour. The Greek word is prostithemi, add more is basically what it means. And then in verse 33, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom and all these things will be prostithemi, will be added on. So you get the more that you couldn't get by worrying it into existence. You get the more. Give away your money today, you'll have enough in your spirit. You'll have that more that you're worrying about for tomorrow. Give away your money toward the kingdom, toward others, and you will find peace. Give away your money and you'll see how God meets your needs tomorrow. It'll feel like cheating, maybe you can say 60 years from now. I can't spiritualize these things. You either do them or you don't. <laughs> you either accept the training plan or you don't. But when you do them, then you'll see. And I want to argue, I want to invite the band back up now. I want to argue that unless Ebenezer Scrooge himself is in this room, pre-visitation, he's already, or you've already encountered God. You already have. The proof of what I'm saying, that God meets us in that space when we part with our money toward the kingdom today. It's already there, it's already true. Have you ever done something generous towards someone? Um, someone who needs it, someone that like wasn't expecting it. Have you ever done something generous and then you see when, when you do it and you're sort of nervous, like should you do it? What will be the response? You're questioning yourself, is this wise? Is this smart? Is this responsible? Was that really God? And then you do it and then what happens? They respond with shock. They respond with tears. They are so overwhelmed and moved. Generally, when, when that's happened with me in the past, they explain to me how their prayers are, 
or where they've been in life. And this, this totally met their need in a way that I, didn't, I wasn't even aware of. And then what happens to me? I become overwhelmed myself. As I explained earlier, I become overwhelmed with joy, overwhelmed with peace, overwhelmed with thanksgiving. I wondered how could I have ever been so, so stingy to a certain degree? This is so intoxicating. Living for the kingdom today is so much better than worrying about how I'm gonna live tomorrow. To see God come through in people's lives, to realize that you're a part of someone else's prayers, that God has used you to answer their prayers. It is so cool, friends. And even if you're not a follower of Jesus, but you've had a moment like this, you've encountered God. Because when that peace overflows, that is the one from whom all life comes, who can be summed up perfectly in his essence as love, as generosity, the God who gives away, who gives away his very life that we might have life. So therefore, when we give away our very life, and of course, in our case in the West, money is the closest thing to that. When we give away our very life that others might have life, we are joining into the spirit of God. We're joining into him and we encounter him in that moment. So even if you say, I don't follow Jesus, you've still, if you've had a moment like that, you've encountered God. And if you're here and you're like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know any of this. Here's the last thing I would say to you because Jesus offers it as well. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And scholars have pointed out the order is important. Jesus did not say where your heart is, your treasure will follow. No, it's not the way it works. Don't wait until you're feeling generous or till you feel like you love God enough and then mysteriously and magically your treasure will follow. No, 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 no. Just like getting in shape. You have to start the hard stuff first and then it follows. So if you're like, I don't know about any of this, we'll start investing in the kingdom today. Leave this space and say, Lord, show me one place today where I can invest in the kingdom, invest in others, and I get nothing in return. Show me that. Keep looking for those opportunities to seek the kingdom today to put your treasure toward the kingdom today. And guess what? Your heart's gonna follow. In the same way that when you act generously, even though you're feeling worried about it, joy fills you after it. Would you pray with me? Lord, it's uh, topics like today are not, are not easy. I dare say um, for people who are truly listening, who are truly able to hear, that there should be some nerves in their spirit right now. Do not worry about tomorrow. It has enough worries of its own. Look around you. Are you not worth so much more than birds and grass? Oh, you of little faith. Who do you think your father is? He who would give you his very son, will he not along with it give you everything else? Has he not promised you life in abundance? Has he not promised you an adventure? Has he not promised you joy and peace that surpasses understanding? It's there. It's there. But where your treasure is, your heart will follow. Where is your treasure? Lord, we pray. 
I mean, we just pray for the courage to hear your voice and to take a step of faith. To hear your voice and to take a step of faith. Trusting, or at least forcing ourselves to trust if we don't yet. That the promises of the God of money are a lie, keeping us in fear and in captivity. And that the life that you have for us, when we cling to you, when we seek the kingdom today, because we're not promised tomorrow, we only have today, the abundance of joy and peace. And for anyone here, Lord, who does not know you, but is curious about you, would you also give them a step to take? Would you also open their eyes to see an area where they can give towards your kingdom, part with their money today as a test to see if you would meet them in that space. And then Jesus, my prayer is that you be who you say you are and do nothing else but meet us and meet them. Lord, show us how to respond in this moment because we want to be your children with every aspect of our heart. Amen. Would you stand together as a community? Would we respond? by singing the song. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's sermon. To find out more about the mission and ministry of Hope Brooklyn, details about Sunday worship and brunch, to subscribe to our other podcasts and lots more, visit us online at www.hopebrooklyn.org.